Hello, everybody. Welcome to the next episode of Consortium's Indo Podcast Series. I'm Indu Saxena, the moderator of this session. And today's session is focused on the importance of military history. And for this conversation, we have Dr. Chris Kalawski. He's a fellow and head of the military history team at the Consortium of Indo-Pacific Researchers. And with him, his team member, Mr. Jose Antonio Castorio, who is also a fellow at the Consortium Military History Team. Welcome you both here. And before moving ahead, let me announce here that views presented and expressed here are personal should not be constituted to any organizations and affiliations. So the topic is very interesting and it's about the importance of military history the first thought comes in our mind about uh, uh, the war, conflict, the study of war and conflict. And uh, to go through with this uh, topic, uh, I would like to invite first uh, Chris to tell about the definition of the military history so we can understand, our audience can understand what is the military history and uh, how it relates uh, or different, uh, different from the the history. Like when we read the history in our college, in our in our classes. So military history or history, what is what is the difference between them? Or they both are related. Case over to you. Thank you, Indu. And uh, that's a great question. And to me, that whenever you talk about this type of topic, that's fundamental to start with the definition. And I'll be honest, military history, in my experience, is somewhat misunderstood and there's a mis in, misunderstanding of exactly what it is a lot of people think it's a lot narrower than what you know that you're studying this unit moved here and did this to this unit and this battle fought and things like that it's actually much broader than that one of the the definition of military history that i've been using for a many many years and jose i know you you and i have talked and you agree with this military history is the study of the conduct of war of nations at war, armies and the people that make them up. And so as it relates to historical disciplines, I actually would argue that military history is one of the few historical disciplines that actually touches all the others. Because if you really want to understand military history, if you want to understand a nation at war, for example, Japan in World War II, there's strategy, tactics, armaments, there's an economic history, there's nautical history, there's social history, particularly with the impact of the fire raids and the bombings of 1944-45, the kamikazes, that's all, that's very much social history, um, you know, diplomatic history, economic history, there's all kinds of different that really to understand J Japanese military history during the Second World War, you have to dabble and touch on all elements to make some, you know, to, to really do it right. Yes, it is to a certain extent tactics and strategies and weapons and and who did what to whom but to really do it right and to really get into the context of it and to really uh, really get into the meat of the subject you have to bring in all these other elements as well to jose i don't know if you got anything to add to that well basically for me it's like also it's also the end user of uh, military history okay so if you're talking about strategy and tactics and uh, especially in the tactical to strategic um, sense 
then sometimes your your end user would be the military institutions themselves okay but if you talk about social issues you know in let's say um, the kamikazes as you mentioned social history and nations at war then you 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 tread also into sociology you tread also into political science especially political science and international relations um international relations will um is greatly aided by the study of human conflict you know uh, without that if you don't if if you if you don't study human conflict at all if you don't study wars then your grasp of international relations will be limited you know um so military history provides that for me it provides that particular um advantage and the use for those who want to delve deeper for example into many issues in a country's um um uh, history or or uh, in history of the world or also uh, when a military wants to improve itself so it has a lot of uses basically you know aside of course from its entertainment value i mean for example me and i and i was a kid i started um i was so engrossed in 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 the military um Uh, topics of the encyclopedias that were being published then that, that I would go to and I'd really spend afternoons in that. From that, then it developed into something more scholarly and academic. Wow, that's a great uh, to understand the um, basic definition of the military history like uh, Chris uh, just mentioned that it uh, includes uh, many parameters of uh, like economic uh, diplomatic and social and uh, everything and uh, you also just uh, extended uh, about uh, the difference between political science to the international relations when we go from mm -hmm. to, towards so uh, just just i'm curious about that like uh, uh, sometimes we see that the military history is the subject of this for the soldiers or for for who who's served in the military or are Uh, academics or how do you think that the subject is uh, like uh, classified uh, in in between the in between the academics and and the military personnel Chris first <laughs> yes, I, I, you know, I'll be talking about something else and, it, yeah. it, it depends on where you sit Indu to be quite honest um I You know, if you talk about the the academics in, say, the Army War College or the Air War College or Air University, the Naval War College, you know, it's it's hand in glove, the National Defense University. In in the United, I'll speak only from the United States perspective. Um, in the United States, there are a lot of history faculties that, for a variety of reasons, partly related to the Vietnam War and its aftermath, um, have focused away from necessarily the study of conflict as itself and when you see things about history military history it tends to be social history of units it tends to be you know and that that stuff has value you know wartime economies things of that nature and that has value but one of the things that it does is it's only a piece of the pie and i think there's To, to understand military to really do military history you always have to keep some level of the macro if you did a history of, of to go back to japan for example if you did a history of the japanese government in in world war ii you have to understand what's going on on the battlefronts to understand what's going on in tokyo and why the japanese government goes through the trials and tribulations that it does 
right up until the moment of surrender in August of 1945. And that's what I'm trying to say is, is sometimes the lens in some academic circles, I'm not saying all, there are some very notable universities that do great military history, but a lot of them tend to just focus on a piece of the pie and lose the big picture, if that makes sense. Uh, Jose, would you like to add something in this? Uh... Yeah, um, I could. I would speak from my experience from the Philippines. Basically, is that it's it's a different from. Um, I, I, no, I think there's actually some similarities also. For starters, military history um, in the academe. Okay, it's it's a it's a barely tolerated um, uh, subject. Oh, why? Uh, for example, in the Philippines, um, it it's not it it was affected by the peculiar characteristics of the country that I'm in, which had a dictatorship. And because of a dictatorship and in a dictatorship, the military plays a pivotal role in it, okay, in the protection of the um, the the state, you know. And in that mat in that aspect, the academe tended to be the more anti-establishment one. So if you were engaged in military history, you would feel pressure from from uh, your colleagues, okay? So I do remember for me, for example, okay? Because I was so much into military history and I, I, I was, I was it was in the, the, the 80s and, and that's that at the time of the dictatorship. Um, some would say that I was like a military agent or what, you know? You'd have that type of uh, situation. So it's 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 very, it's it's difficult you know, for, for, for the civilian academe to, to, um, embrace military history, but of course it's it's easier for let's say the military educational institutions. Right? But even there, it tends to have um, it tends to have uh, um, difficulty also in in um, becoming accepted. Why? Because, for example, in in my case, uh, the I've noticed that the appreciation of history from where I'm from is very weak. Okay. Um, so what more of military history? So it, it's always a struggle uh, for uh, for for uh, military historians uh, to ad to um, advance that particular discipline, not just in civilian academic institutions, but also within the military itself. You know, because uh, uh, it's not seen as um, as um, imp that important. All which is ironic because in the formulation of doctrines, uh, history plays military history plays a very big role. Because mm -hmm. how do you how can you learn your lessons if you don't go look at your historical past? Okay, so that that's that's how I I I phrase, I'd, I'd add to what Chris was saying was that the it's the struggle that that we have as military historians in in from where I come from. Um, mm -hmm. Now it's it's we're beginning to have a little bit more military historians, but before when I was in in my younger years, you could just count on one hand the number of military historians in the Philippines. Okay, thanks, uh, and uh, we will talk uh, um, a bit later on this the importance of the military history. And uh, now I just want to move to the, another question, like uh, when we see the technological advancement uh, at, at this era, when we see the drone and uh, uh, a different kind of technology cyber technology and uh, and ai in in the field like uh, the the 
and uh, supposedly, uh, and if, of course, we are saying that uh, um, the warfare are kind of uh, uh, like uh, of a technological, uh, they look like a technological room nowadays, but uh, maybe they experience Russia-Ukraine war experiences more kind of different in front of us. So uh, then my next question is, how do you assess the military history in the era of technological advancement? Uh, when when the uh, when this technology had changed modern warfare uh, hugely, I'll I'll take this one first. I know Jose's got definite thoughts too. <laughs> um, one of the things it, I, I do staff rides. I have done staff rides for the U.S. military officer cadets and serving officers of Civil War battlefields. So we've been out there 150, 160 years later. The technology obviously has changed. So the tactics that are being used, the actual, you know, frontline tactics are very different today than they were obviously in the 1860s. But a lot of the fundamentals are the same. The importance of leadership, the importance of the human element, the importance of logistics, communication, command and control. That's why military historians even today will find lessons in the campaign, say, of Alexander the Great. Um, because those, if you if you look at, at at the history of warfare, there are certain constants that, that even though technology changes, there are certain fundamental constants and things that, you know, they call them the laws of war. That's why Sun Tzu, the art of war, which was written several thousand years ago, is still very relevant today. Um, and the other thing I would point out is that history also teaches us the impact of technological revolutions. You look at, for example, the development of the rifled musket and the rifled artillery piece in the 19th century and how that changed warfare and how armies and armed forces had to adapt. That's a lesson for nations and for defense policy analysts and things like that to say nothing then of World War I. I've actually had conversations with Air Force officers because in the in Russo-Ukraine war, you're finding drones are starting to shoot at each other. And the question that I asked, I said, is this just like in 1914, where airplanes were buzzing around the battlefield in 1914? And all of a sudden, somebody said, you know what, I'm taking a rifle up to shoot at the other side. And then you start, you see this massive technological change in air warfare from 1914 to the Red Baron in 1918 and the massed air attacks and things like that. So there's things that can be learned and technological change doesn't render the past irrelevant by any stretch of the imagination and so that would be that's a great question i think it's an important question that would be kind of what i would advocate as the as as an answer for for me okay uh military or history for example history it's like your asian mom you know to, to, to use that term. Why do I say that? It's like your Asian mom. You know, um, it, it, where are you going with this, Jose? I want to hear this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like this, you know, humans tend to repeat mistakes. Okay. And if you, you just don't learn from your past. Okay. Just, that's why, that's why, why, why does it become relevant? You know, why, why does something from the past become relevant? Because, Commanders keep on forgetting basic um, lessons, you know. So history is there just to like to, to slap the person into senses again, like you're doing it wrong. Okay, that's that's why I'm saying okay? it 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 reminds you what to do. Okay, that's why that's why for example, there's this uh, book of Keegan, 
know, uh, Gigan, the Mask John of King. Command. Yeah, yeah, John Gigan, the Mask of Command, you know. Uh, and, and it talks about four commanders, but they're separated by centuries, you know. Um, Alexander the Great, um, then all the way up to um, Napoleon, um, uh, all the way up to Hitler. Okay, in between you have you have um, the Duke of Wellington and uh, Grant. You know, so so these are separated by centuries, but th it's a common thing on leadership, as 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 um, as uh, um, Chris was saying a while ago. This is, so it, it it's that like for I'll give an example uh, in the Philippines. You know. Um, that um, despite despite uh, despite uh, the fact that it happened before, you know, a, a military convoy gets ambushed, you keep on hearing the same thing over and over. Why is it kept coming? Because they're repeating the same mistakes over and over. And if they had been aware, you know, of lessons learned, if the military history program had been stronger, perhaps and the doctrines would have been stronger. Um, then perhaps that would not have happened. You would not have um, convoys of military personnel um, traversing an area known for um, ambushes and still committing the same mistakes over and over. You know, so so that's that's uh, that's how, how I, I I look at at why it becomes relevant always, and it's because of the human tendency to keep on making the same mistakes over and over. And that's why that's that's why. History is there as your mom who will have to remind you always in, in sometimes in a very brutal way also, okay? Okay, thank you. So You always come up with the best analogies, Jose. <laughs> yes. And it, it's uh, good to understand with analogies. Uh, and uh, so uh, uh, you are telling me about that uh, technological advancement uh, Yes, but uh, we can't uh, we can't ignore the lessons learned and uh, whatever. Like uh, you mentioned about Alexander the Great and the Napoleon and so on. So, uh, with the, on the basis of this, just just I am curious. The thought uh, came into my mind that uh, uh, is there any classification of like if you can say ancient warfare or or, or medieval or, or the modern warfare and uh, but the history that the study of the topic, uh, how it goes from the ages uh, to towards the twenty first century, how where we are moving in this. I think when you look at, actually, I'll use a good example. You've heard a lot about the Thucydides trap. That actually illustrates exactly, to me, the answer to your question, is the broad. You know, there. If you look at history, there's been rising powers, falling powers. There's been periods where there's been consolidation into large empires, and then at some point those empires stagnate and then fracture. I would argue that we're in a period of that fracture, really after World War II, with the demise of the, particularly in the Far East, the demise of the British, the French, and the Dutch colonial powers. And now we've got China, you know, People's Republic of China kind of rising into that vacuum. You know, that has had played out before, and that has played out over several millennia. Um, they, I've seen studies where they've identified the Thucydides trap applies to 16 different cases, of which the most recent is the one is the People's Republic of China in the United States. 
there have been 16 or 16 I've seen as high as 20, depending on how you score it, dating all the way back to the Greeks and the Spartans. So, you know, to Jose's point earlier about how people, you know, certain trends repeat themselves and a study of military history and a study of great power military history over time shows that. And, you know, to, as one of my friends and colleagues, Michael Nyberg said once, a military historian or a historian um, can't predict what's going to happen, but they're like an experienced woods, woodsman walking through woods they've never been in before. They may, based on their knowledge, based on what they've studied before, they may not know the woods per perfectly, but they can find and they can spot, you know, key things you know, like animal tracks or, you know, whatever, or find the trail or whatever um, and help navigate. And that's what this does. And that's what thinking about those broad themes and recognizing those broad themes um, can help do. And it can help people, as I say, use the past to inform the present and influence the future. And it's by keeping those and thinking about those in mind that you can do that. Jose, I, I'm sure I'm sure you've got, you might poke holes in my argument. I'm not sure. But uh... don't poke holes in your argument. I, I, I don't have a good analogy to, at this point in time now. But but basically, what I'm going to say is that is that um, that uh, that the that the military history basically it uh, it's uh, it it serves like I was saying it serves a lot of um, going to the point of let's say classification, you know. Well, there's one which I said, which is uh, tra it, it tracks the the development of history, the innovations. Okay, the, how 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 it started from let's say the primitive measures, then then to more complex more complex, and then to the Second World War, we would have the concepts of total war, you know, something like that. So it would tra it would trace those those trends, you know, and 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 um after the second world war you would have these concepts of limited war so so it would it could look at that at the same time um we shouldn't also forget that military history is also very important because it's a source of pride yeah that's one thing i've i've um, seen because i used to be a, i used to well just like uh, um Chris here, I did work in museums also, and I, I used to be the curator of the Philippine Militaris Museum in um, in the general headquarters. And the military history for me at the time was a way to instill pride, you know, um, not just in among the people, but also in the um, soldiers and rank and file themselves, you know, so that uh, they would be proud of their service, you know, they would understand the, the, the bravery of the, of, of who fought before them, of their, of their, of their forefathers, you know, and from, then for the civilians also, it served a purpose also the same thing, you know, it, it provided also a means of inspiration, a means of legacy building and things like that, you know, um, it's, um, it would have been most likely easier if had it been, for example, United States military, because it was a, I, I, in the case of Chris, because when he talks about the uh, military history, you know, in the United States, for example, it's it's one, it's 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 full of accomplishments and victories and innovations, especially if you talk about the Second World War, you know. 
Um, in the case of the Philippines, it's a bit more difficult because we're a country at war with itself. You know, we, we have a lot of counterinsurgency going on. So it, it gets more difficult. You know, how, how do you how do you present this when your when your military main opponent happens to be um, your fellow countrymen also? No, and very rarely an external. So that's basically what I like because Chris really captures everything. I'm just like playing second fiddle to Chris right now. So, <laughs> so there. So that's what I want to add. So it, it, it's also a source of legacy. It's a source, source of pride also. All right. So uh, now we know about how it's from ancient to the modern, uh, how this military history reflects our past and uh, present uh, present, and uh, some a roadmap for the future. So uh, in, in this context, uh, uh, so my next question is, uh, uh, why does it matter? Why does military history matter? Uh, from a global and because we are uh, focused on Indo-Pacific, so an Indo-Pacific security perspective. I'll take, I'll, I'll start this one, Jose, but yeah. you're not playing second fiddle by any means. You're going to jump in and help me on an accompaniment <laughs> here. Okay. Um, I, th I think some of the, some of the answer to, the, to this question, I think is some things we've touched on already is understanding the, the how nations view their military past and how past conflicts you know the memory of the pacific war is a geopolitical issue between japan and china and between japan and south korea among other nations and it's an, it's an irritant it's one of the reasons japan that's that's one of the reasons japan and south korea are not as close as they could be as the memory of the pacific war korean comfort women things like that you look at subas chandra bose and the memory of the indian national army in World War II, and how the Modi government in India is using that memory for to, to try and build the case of a Hindu nationalist state and, and many other things. Um, the Philippines, of course, national, you, you know, the, the national um, identity tied to World War II, particularly how the Marcos dynasty, father and son, have hitched themselves to that in a lot of ways. You know, so there's a piece of that. The other thing I would mention is particularly if you're looking at it from an Indo-Pacific standpoint, some of the largest conflicts in the region in a couple of centuries have been fought since basically 1895. And so if you understand the geography, if you understand the strategy of those conflicts, it can help you think through how a potential conflict in the region may play out. For example, I'll use an example, China Moving southwest from Kunming, the old Burma Road Corridor from World War II and the old Stillwell Road Corridor, that's their access point down to Rangoon to the Indian Ocean. And so Burma, Myanmar, remains geopolitically as significant now as it did in World War II because it's the eastern end of the Himalayas. You, the Himalayas are a little more passable today than they were in World War II, but still, you know, China doesn't have a lot of places to go west. They can go southwest through Burma, northwest into the Great Plains of Asia. That was a geopolitical problem for Chiang Kai-shek when the Japanese invaded and took the took eastern China. It remains a geopolitical dilemma for the People's Republic because the first island chain limits their ability to communicate and expand eastward. That's one of many examples that I could use. 
but it's by looking at the history of these conflicts and the geography and the strategy that you can understand and begin to think about how things may play out because some of those same factors are present today. Well, to, to add to what Chris was saying, again, I go back to my personal experience. Okay? When I was in um, several decades ago, I was um, I started working in my country's uh, military as an analyst in um, the plants division of uh, the general headquarters. And then uh, what I brought in was that I, I, I studied I, I studied the current issues, but I could bring in, put it in its historical context, okay, being historically trained. So I could assess, I used history to assess the capabilities, the intentions, uh, and the possibilities that uh, could arise in a given crisis situation or in a con or or conflict. So, for example, in the case of China, um, uh, if you're going to look at it from from just mere political perspectives, uh, you might not fully grasp what is driving China's territorial ambitions. Okay, and there's like in our previous podcast we were talking about China and its um and its uh historical past. It's it's a it's a century of humiliation. You know? Uh, without understanding that and all the conflicts that were part of the century of humiliation, then you don't you you might end up having a naive perception of what's going on now. You know, not 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 uh, not that deep. Okay? So I would bring that and I would I would explain. Okay, um, China is like this because it's like this because of what happened in in hundred years ago, continuing and it it hasn't forgotten that. You know. Same thing. Also, if you talk about um, Japan and Korea, it's their it's their problem. When, when Korea had been colonized by the China by the Japanese in a very brutal manner, and it up to now it still affects them. And surprisingly enough, um, with that, this these conflicts um, are not really that uh, well, well understood or understood by current generation um either they're in the military or they're in government or they're policy makers so there it's it's some sometimes they go like oh really that's what happened yeah this is what happened so so that's why military history becomes very important you know i i i and i i'd like to talk about for example what happened in ukraine you know um what happened in ukraine the, um, last year when the russians uh um the russians uh, um in, uh, invaded. Um, somebody who doesn't understand military history would automatically think that, oh, Russia would walk over Ukraine. But someone who understands what was going on with Russia would say, uh, uh, would would have a different take on it. Why? He would be, he would, he or she would know what already happened in Chechnya. Okay, wherein the Russians just bogged down, you know, and that was a weaker opponent. So an understanding of military history gives you a, a a certain level of depth you know now um that would uh, make you g g give out more informed more 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 informed um perspectives you know uh, 
tendency-wise, in uh, a military historian, if he does policy, if he does uh, policy recommendations, he tends to be a bit more negative than by experience, <laughs> by experience than somebody who has done political science, you know, or or other social sciences. Why? Because a military historian is very much aware of the tri of of years upon years, decades upon decades, and centuries and centuries of human struggle. So brings that to that. So so at least at the very least, we are important in providing the perspective of vigilance, you know. That's how what I'd say it, you know. We we may we 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 make the end user, for example, the one who reads what we we write about, you know, uh, a bit more um uh cautious, you know, and vigilant in his or her conclusions, you know, and because you know um despite the fact that you may talk about uh rosy um um perspectives, but if it's not really um, uh, put into the proper con historical context, you know, especially in the aspect of conflict, then then you might end up uh, in a much more dangerous situation. Yeah, case in point, actually, to, to Jose's exact point, mm -hmm. Barbara Tuchman's book, The uh, Guns of August, came yeah, out in yeah. 1962. John Kennedy had read it mm -hmm. shortly before the Cuban Missile Crisis, by mm -hmm. chance. Mm -hmm. And it was he he later admitted that that book was on his mind when mm -hmm. he was thinking about how events play out and you know looking at thinking about July and August 1914 mm -hmm. and the war plans and how the mm -hmm. dominoes were falling, and that was something that was very much on his mind. Mm -hmm. And that to me, a vignette like that illustrates exactly Jose's point. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's Thank a you. quite interesting um, discussion. And uh, looking at the time, uh, I'm moving towards our last questions. Uh, uh, to you, uh, what are the one or two key points uh, that you think that our list, our listeners should take away from this discussion? That's tough. Um, the first thing I would say is just because we study military history, again, going back to Jose's point, it does not mean we're warmongers by any stretch. As a matter of fact, I and many of my colleagues, I don't want to put words in Jose's mouth, uh, but I assume he would agree as well. Um, the uh, by under the greater understanding of war makes us let it encourages us more and more toward peace. And so that would be a point that I would advocate. I would also suggest to people is think about all the think about everything we've talked about. And we haven't really touched on battles and who did what to who and tactics and things like that. Those are all important. But hopefully, as you've considered this discussion tonight, you got a sense of what we said at the top about the breadth of military history and how conflict, the study of human conflict, um, even its broad strokes, can really illuminate a lot and provide a greater understanding. And so those would be kind of the two big things, the two big takeaways that I'd want people to walk away with. And how can I add to that? That is, uh, I mean, basically, um, uh, Chris, um, uh, what Chris said, I, I totally agree. And, and uh, just to add is that um, ignore history at your peril. That's what I would say. Ignore, and if you're in the military or in your, go or in your government, because in our case, 
more often than not, the end user is the government or the military, you know. So if you're within those two areas, you know, uh, you're either a government uh, or a policymaker or you're, you're in command, uh, ignore history at your own peril. Always go back and then look at history. Look at all the great commanders. Many of the great commanders, they tended to look back at history from from MacArthur to Patton, for example, you know, if, if that guy really was so much into his, to the point that actually he thought, did he actually think he was reincarnated? He did. He yes. did. He thought he was reincarnated even as far back as the Roman centurions with Caesar. Yeah, yes. he absolutely believed that. So, so the, the, but, but the thing is that they, they took it. They, they, they were learning from the lessons of history, and and for many of them. Um, uh, I'm talking about Amer in, the, in the case of the United, uh, American uh, commanders. So they were they learned a lot from um, the U.S. Civil War, you know, or previous conflicts within in the United States that the United States had engaged in, you know. So again, that's what I was saying to reiterate: uh, ignore history at your peril. Yeah, that's just one. Okay, because Chris said to, and I can't, I can't add any more to that. Okay, thank you so much. So it's uh, so important to uh, uh, study the military history that's uh, not only about the soldiers, but for the academics too, for the students too. Maybe it's uh, uh, with a different name, the military strategy or something kind of this. And the, the new topics are added in this, like with the technology, with the advancement of the technology and so on. So it's a um, wonderful discussion. And thank you so much uh, for this. Um, well, thank you very much. Thank you very much also.